Good morning, ABC. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you guys are here. My name is Sean Russell, and I'm the Director of Operations and uh, honored to lead the men's ministry here at Atascadero Bible Church. And before we jump into today's message, I wanted to just share a few announcements for you guys uh, to get plugged in and connected here at the church over the next few weeks. The first is Vacation Bible School. VBS is going to be hosted here outside at ABC the week of June 14th through the 18th. Uh, last year, unfortunately, we weren't able to, uh, to host it here at the church, uh, but this year we're excited to be opening up outside for, uh, for the kids. And if you've ever been part of a vacation Bible school here at ABC, you know it's one of the most amazing events we have for kids. A uh, great opportunity to, uh, for kids to dive into the relationship with Christ or even go deeper in their relationship with Christ, and we are privileged to host it. But the only way we can do it is if we have volunteers. And so I'm looking at each one of you, uh, if you're feeling called or led to volunteer in some way here at ABC, this is a great opportunity to do that. We cannot host VBS without volunteers. And so I would just ask you to prayerfully consider uh, joining us as a volunteer at VBS. Uh, again, it's June 14th through the 18th, um, and I promise you, you will not regret it. Uh, lives are changed during that week and perhaps even yours. So again, prayerfully consider joining us uh, June 14th through the 18th for VBS. You can go online at abcchurch.org to sign up. Uh, and let us know you're interested in volunteering. Uh, next up is a Senior Breakfast. We have a Senior Breakfast hosted on Wednesday, May 5th at 9 a.m. in E102. So seniors, mark your calendar for that event. Uh, come out, we have a great message, a wonderful breakfast, and a cool time just to get together and connect with people um, uh, together for the Senior Breakfast. Uh, we would like to know that you're coming, so if you could RSVP to Lori at abcchurch.org, that'd be great. Uh, we'd just like to know how much food to prepare for uh, and how to prepare the room for you guys. And lastly, guys, for you out there, uh, please mark your calendars for Saturday, May 22nd. We're going to be hosting a men's breakfast right here on campus. I'm um, really excited about the event. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Christ and uh, our careers and how those two collide and what that looks like in the workforce for a lot of the guys at our church. Uh, so I'm excited about the morning. Again, Saturday, May 22nd, uh, right here at church. We'll have a great breakfast, great message, and a cool opportunity to get together. So be thinking about a guy or two uh, that you haven't seen at church in a while or someone that you'd like to see come to the breakfast uh, and enjoy the event with us. Uh, and with that, we hope you guys have a great week and a great Sunday morning. Hey, good morning. Before we get into Philippians for the day, I want to make you aware of something really uh, special, near and dear to my heart. Next Sunday, May 2nd, we're going to have a worship night on Sunday night. Uh, May 2nd, a worship night, and I'm really excited for how we're going to do it. Um, it's going to be a, more of an acoustic setting, and we're going to sit around in a circle. Um, honestly, I'm not going to do a lot of planning uh, for it. We're not going to do a, a ton of prep. We're going to bring um, just a, a pile of songs, and we're going to sing through what we want to sing through. And if anyone wants to sing through something else, we'll try to sing through that. Um, and we are just going to—we're just going to go for it together. We're—we're going to just try to. To, to please God with, with hearts that are yearning after him uh, in worship and, and try to connect with him in a really special way. Um, about a year ago, or a little over a year ago, we took our worship team up to Hume Lake and we stayed uh, in a couple cabins up there and we would do some worship times in the morning and in the evening. And there were a couple times um, through that retreat where we had some moments in worship that uh, in, in, no exaggeration for me. They were some of my top, uh, maybe some of my top two or three worship moments in my life. Um, especially some of my top moments uh, in worship with uh, 
with these people since I've been a worship pastor here. Um, just some really special kind of sacred times that we had together. Um, and it was just that kind of, it was that kind of environment and that kind of vibe. We just sat around, we didn't overthink it much. We didn't plan or prep like crazy much. We just sat around um, and played music and, and sang to the Lord together. And that's all we wanna do. Next Sunday, May 2nd, join us for that. Everyone's invited, it's gonna be here in the outdoor lot. Um, so come to that for worship night. Now, uh, we're in Philippians chapter two. I don't know about you guys, but I have never been so aware of my differences with other people. Like, I just realize very deeply, very clearly, um, we are all very different. I don't know if you have realized that recently. And we all see that all the time with the people that we're closest to, right? Like I see it in my kids, I see it between me and my spouse all the time. Um, like my kids, like my five-year-old, uh, she is. She kind of has that classic like firstborn personality. Like I can look at her with a slight like tone of disappointment in my face and she's like crushed and she's like repenting, praying for forgiveness. And then my second daughter will like burn the house down and smile at me while she's doing it. Like no remorse. I, I don't know like what we're gonna do with her. They're just completely different kids. We see it all the time with people we're closest to, but I've never been so aware of it so clearly and so broadly. Like with everyone I know, we are all just so different. My guess is that at some point this year, you learned something about someone you're close to that surprised you and disappointed you. And it felt personal because I'm talking about something like it wasn't just some random guy you went to high school with ranting on Facebook. This was like someone you really actually know and someone you love. And you discovered that they believe something about something that is completely different than what you believe about that thing. Like fundamentally different, not just a little different, fundamentally different than what you believe about that thing. And it wasn't a small thing in your mind. It was something that had massive implications about whatever it was, right? About whatever the thing was over the last year. And it was wildly different and it felt personal and it threw you off. Like you still feel sort of some heat in your stomach and some sweaty palms and some anger rising in you, remembering, whoa, you think that, like how could you think that about that. I've had multiple conversations throughout the year with, with people even in our church who I know and love, and I still love them, but there were conversations that were absolutely jarring to me where I, I realized, oh, you see this thing this way, and I see it completely different. Like fundamentally, di like we are so missing each other on this topic or this issue or whatever it is, and I was absolutely floored. And quick disclaimer, I'm not even talking about like the core fundamental biblical principles that our church is founded on. God does call us to be different in some senses. He calls us to be holy and, and separate from the world in that way because we're holy and we're, we're godly. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about cultural ideas and preferences, things that are fleeting, things that are because of this time in history or whatever it is, things that the Bible doesn't even necessarily say anything about. And now it's okay to disagree about these things, but the problem for me is that I've been more tempted than ever to become cynical and categorical about people. Maybe you have too, right? Oh, you voted for blank, so you must be blank. Oh, you voted for blank, so you must be blank. Oh, you posted this, so you must be this. Oh, you liked this, so you must be that. 
were saying, oh, you think this way. Clearly you are not a thoughtful person. Clearly you don't know everything that I know. Clearly you don't have all the facts. Clearly you don't know everything about COVID. Clearly you don't know everything about politics. Clearly you don't know everything about justice or society. Clearly you don't have all the facts because a thoughtful, reasonable person would never come to the conclusion that you are coming to if they had all the facts like I do, right? Like that, that's what we're thinking. That's what we're feeling all too often. I even find that oftentimes people can say or do something small, but it'll lead me to make a big assumption about them. They'll show a relatively minor opinion, but I will put them in a major category. And over the last year, I have found myself doing this, battling this tendency more and more and more. And I don't like it because it's disrespectful to people, because it's belittling to people. It's objectifying to people. It's dehumanizing, honestly, to people. But I'm just so aware of how different people can be. And I think there's something in us that tends to overstate, to focus in on too much on our differences. And not in a diversity is beautiful kind of way, but in a I don't like you because you're not like me kind of way. See, unity is one thing, but uniformity is another. And oftentimes, that's really what we're craving. What we're craving isn't unity at all, but we're craving uniformity. Be like me. And I think it goes all the way back to the garden because we were made for unity. Put in the Garden of Eden, made for a relationship that ultimately reflects the relational unity that God has in and of himself between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But then what happened? Sin entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, our natural inclination to move toward each other in relationship was replaced by our tendency to move away from each other. To move away from connection, from relationship, from authenticity and transparency, and to move toward isolation and separation, toward alone. Our default desire for unity, while not lost completely, was broken. Absolutely broken. But then Jesus enters the scene, right? And one of the first things Jesus does is he calls Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot to both follow him. And these are two people who could not have been more different. And then he continues at every step in his ministry, bringing together things that were wildly different and making himself the common ground for things that would have been absolute polar opposites tax collectors and anti-government revolutionaries, rich and poor, Jews and Samaritans, priests and prostitutes, liberal, conservative, and everything in between. Jesus laying himself down, making himself the common ground for things that were polar opposites, bringing together things that were separate. In Jesus, all of these players and pieces would find common ground that made them more similar than they ever were different. And then in John 17, Jesus prays these words for us, a culmination of his heart for our unity. He says, Father, for those who will believe in me, would they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me that they may be perfectly one. Listen to this. That they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our pure, untainted desire for unity that was broken in the Garden of Eden 
is restored now in Jesus. So now in him, listen, you and me, in Christ, no matter where you sit, culturally or ideologically or sociopolitically or whatever it is, and no matter where I sit, we are more similar than we are different, no matter what. In Christ, that will always be true. We are more similar than we are different because in Jesus, the love that unifies us is stronger than the ideas that divide us. If you stand in Christ, that will always be true of you. That will always be true of me. In Christ, the love that unifies us is stronger than the ideas that divide us. That's all the intro. Here's why I say that. And we get into the text in Philippians 2. Here's why I say that. We're at the beginning of chapter 2. And with the tone of Jesus himself, what does Paul call us to? Unity. Look at Philippians 2, 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's brilliant what Paul is doing, not in a slimy way, but in a really just good communicator way. He's appealing to emotion for this church in Philippi. He's, he's calling them to remember the sweetness of what God has done the supernatural in their lives. He's saying, listen, if this means anything to you, right? If, if you have any fondness in your heart at all whatsoever about this truth, about who God is and about what he's done in your life, if this has meant anything to you, then do this, then be that, right? Then, then live accordingly. Eugene Peterson paraphrased it so well. He said, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. What a cool phrase. Be deep-spirited friends. When I look at the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, here's what I see and why it's so important. I believe we see that the unity of God's people is evidence of God's love. I think Paul says it in Philippians, I think Jesus says it in John 17, I think that the unity of God's people is evidence of God's love. Today it's about what's at stake. Like, why is unity worth the work? Why is it worth the work? What is at stake? It's not just because it's nicer to get along. It's not just because it makes church more pleasant or it makes your small group cooler or it makes Christians just seem nicer. What's at stake is that our unity literally shows the world that God is here and that he loves them. Did you hear those words of Jesus? He said, would my church be perfectly one, Father, so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you love them. Our unity shows the world that God is here and that he loves them. That's what's at stake. It's nothing less than that. That is what's at stake. The world knowing that God is here and that he loves them. You can just hear it in Jesus' prayer. Like, Father, what can we do? How can we let the world know that you're here and that you love them? If my followers are perfectly one, that's what'll work. That will do it. If they are perfectly one, 
Not if they have the perfect programs or cool music or uh, amazing sermons or whatever. If they are perfectly one, if they know that the love of God that unifies them is stronger than anything in the world, that is going to work. That will do it. If they are perfectly one. The thing I just can't shake is that there just has to be somewhere in the world. And this is just, this is the thing for me. There has to be somewhere in the world where different people get along. Like people who are different get along. And I don't just mean in in a cheap, cordial way, because you realize that's all the world has to offer, right? Like tolerance isn't a loving thing. It's just polite indifference. Not in a cheap, cordial way, but in a deep-spirited friend, known and loved regardless kind of way. Jew and Greek, male and female, rich and poor, left and right, black and white. There has to be a place. And if the body of Christ isn't that place then we're doing something terribly wrong. If the body of Christ isn't that place, then what's even different about the church? And what's the point? And what are we even doing? If the body of Christ isn't the place where people who are wildly different can find common ground at the foot of the cross, then I don't know what we're even doing. And I don't know what makes the church different than any other place in the world. If that's the case, then we are just the same as any other club or interest group that assumes whatever social or political identity we feel like is the right one or the most important one for the time being. And then, if that's the case, then we'll just pick whatever local church best supports that identity and we'll play a part in that local church as long as the two don't conflict. Right? Like, you could say, I like conservative Jesus, so I go to this church, and he always thinks like me and acts like me and votes like me. Or, or no, I like social justice Jesus, so I'll go to this church. You go to Republican church, I'll go to Democrat church, and we can sort of do our own thing. Because let's be fair, both the left and the right have their versions of Jesus that exist not to advance the kingdom of God, but to advance an agenda of man. And both are equally off point. Both take pieces of gospel truth and neglect the rest in order to coerce the big K king into serving their little K kingdoms. It's on, it's on all sides. There has to be somewhere where people are unified by something stronger and deeper, by something more transcendent and everlasting than whatever socio-political or cultural matter seems most important right then and there. There has to be something unifying us that's deeper and everlasting, where God's love binds us with unity that can't be broken by fleeting cultural differences. And if that's not the church, listen, if that's not the church, then I don't blame the world for not wanting to be a part of the church because that's no different than anything else in the world. I don't want to be a part of that either. Remember when you were a kid and you went to your friend's house and their parents were fighting the whole time about like random stupid stuff and you just felt so uncomfortable and your friend felt uncomfortable and awkward too that you were there seeing their family just fighting the whole time. You'd go over and it was just a mess the whole time. How'd you feel? You didn't really want to go back. I think the world is constantly asking, is there anywhere in the world where people truly love each other? Where people who are different truly get along, like deeply and truly love each other? And too often, our example leaves them thinking, oh, not there either? Okay, we'll keep looking. We'll keep looking for somewhere. 
There's a lot at stake. If the unity of God's people is evidence of God's love, there's a lot at stake. We just have to get this. We have to prioritize this church. We don't have the luxury of being disunified, of of casual disunity. We don't have that luxury. The world is desperately searching for a unified people of love. And Jesus said that it's us. Jesus said that that's our job. We get to do that. We have to get this. So look back at the text and let's get a couple takeaways. Get those takeaways. Let's remove the if out of the sentence that Paul writes. I assume this is true of many of you. I assume this is true of me. You have received encouragement in Christ. You have received comfort from love. You live in the spirit of God. You have Christ's affection and sympathy in you, meant to move through you onto others. So then you are to have the same love and be of one mind. The command is huge, right? Right? Have the same love, be of one mind, be perfectly one. The command is huge, but I don't think we need to overthink it. The way Paul lays it out is really to say that the second half of the sentence is about doing something. But the first half of the sentence is about being something. And he really goes to say that if you are this, then you can do this, right? So the doing in the second half flows out of the being of the first half of the sentence. He doesn't just throw out this wild command without giving us any help. Literally just the opposite. It's like, hey, if this is true, then this is possible. And I'm going to say, because this is true, then we can see what's possible here. You have received encouragement. You've received comfort from love. You participate through life when the spirit, with the Spirit of God. That is true. So this is possible. So all I want to do today, just give us some handles um, as we go. All I want to do today is let God's Word remind us of what's true, and then we can see what's possible. Number one on your outline here, and, and it's not going to take long. We'll breeze through them. Number one on your outline. So you've received encouragement in Christ. Number one is let Christ encourage you. Let him remind you that this is true. Let Christ encourage you. Encourage, to, to literally put courage into somebody, to instill courage. My buddy and I are coaching our kids' t-ball team, uh, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, coaching t-ball team. All we do is encourage the kids. I mean, we give them tips and advice and things here and there and corrections, but all we do, 90% of what we do is just encourage them. We just clap. We say, good throw, good hit, good swing, buddy, you got it. And here's, let's be honest, it's never that good of a throw, Right? Like, it's never that good. They're, they're too small. They can't throw it that far. It's never like an amazing throw. We're like, good throw, kid. It's amazing. Nobody ever gets an out. Nobody ever like knows where to run or what to do. But hey, you're doing good. You're doing good. We are putting courage into these kids because if they think that they can do it, then they want to play. If they think that they can hit and throw and swing and run, then they want to play. And that's the point of t-ball. They, they, we want them to love the sport and want to play. It's literally what God does. He puts courage into his people. And we need courage. Because a lot of the times, the behaviors that are most harmful to our unity, did you know a lot of the times, those behaviors come from fear and anxiety and insecurity. They come from a lack of confidence and courage in Christ. The behaviors that are most harmful to our unity are behaviors that come from fear and anxiety and insecurity. 
the arguing, the reactivity. It's like, well, the pendulum's here. I need to show you that you're wrong. So I'm going to, whoop, here's the actual truth. And so we fight in huge blacks and whites and huge extremes. The reactivity, the shouting matches, the passive aggressive comment threads on Facebook. There's a deep fear and anxiety underneath the surface of all those things. What if I'm wrong? Oh, what if this thing or this idea or this identity that I put so much value in, what if it's not strong enough to carry all the weight that I give to it? There's deep fear and anxiety underneath all those behaviors. But Christian, you don't have to be afraid. Christian, you don't have to be anxious. Let Christ give you courage. Let him put courage in you. Number one is let Christ encourage you. Number two, let love comfort you. He says, if you've received any comfort from love, church, you have. Let love comfort you. Because first he says, be encouraged. Have courage in you. Don't be afraid. But how do you get rid of fear? John says in 1 John 4 that perfect love casts out fear. So be comforted in love right now. Be comforted in love. When you know that you are deeply loved by the God of the universe, everything changes. I've seen it again and again and again. I did a lot of youth ministry before I came to ABC. I can't tell you the change that you see in a student or, or in a child. When they go from a place where they don't know that they're truly loved, not even by God, but by anybody, by parents or by family, and, and there's sort of a frantic searching and grasping and insecurity and fear that comes when you just don't know if you're loved, but you are desperately trying to find out if you are. Am I loved? Somebody love me. And the shift that happens when a student or a child realizes they are deeply and eternally loved. Oh, it changes everything. It changes everything. You get courage. You get confidence. You get healthy security. You don't have to be anxious or afraid anymore. You don't have to be insecure anymore. And, and that helps unity because you can let go of things. You can listen more and speak less. You don't have to be the arbiter of truth and justice on your social media feed. You can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, like 1 Timothy 2 says, and just be loved by God. Just be loved by God. You don't need to constantly be reacting and spazzing out for, for control or, or for fear or for anxiety. You can just live a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness, in confidence and security, knowing that you are just loved by God. Just be loved. And that's not to say, I'm not saying like, hey, let's just slip into passivity while, while the world spins madly on let's just let's just go into passivity not really worry about anything not at all not at all i just wonder but in a in a cultural moment like the one that we're in what if what if the most world changing group of people is just one that is full of peace that is content that is not shouting back but is just peaceful and quiet and godly and holy and non-anxious that group could change the world. 
Number three, let the Spirit lead you. Paul says if you have any participation in the Spirit. Number three, let the Spirit lead you. See, all through the New Testament, especially in Romans and Galatians, we learn that at every moment we are at war between life in the Spirit, what Paul says, and life in the flesh. These two are are forever opposed, life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. And we know that life in the flesh leads to death, but the Spirit leads to life and peace, Romans 8 says. Now, the world is desperately looking for a people of love and unity where life and peace are really possible. But the problem is that every other attempt outside the love of God, outside the work of the Spirit, every other attempt to create heaven on earth is of the flesh. And the flesh wants the good things of the kingdom without the sovereign reign of the king. And the flesh cannot bring life or peace. It doesn't bring love or justice. The flesh is powerless to create the unity that the world longs for. But what if there was a people who lived by the Spirit, who drew on a separate power, who drew from a separate source? As the world continually tries to create heaven on earth, tries to create a kingdom without the king, searching for truth from within, from our own brokenness, Searching for power from from within our own broken flesh is just not going to work. It's never going to work. But what if there was a people who with a, a humble, quiet confidence drew on the strength and the peace and the power of the Spirit of God? Man, how could that change the world? And you say, well, how do I live by the Spirit? And this isn't deep. This isn't crazy. But I just say, ask him for help and then listen all the time. It's not deep. It's not crazy. Ask the Spirit of God for help in your life. Ask Him to lead you. Ask Him to show you how to love people, what to say, what to do, and then just try to listen. And try to do that all the time. Just try. Efforts of the flesh will never bring lasting unity. Its hands are tied. It has too much wrapped up in sin. Our flesh is never going to do it. But a community of the Spirit... That could change the world. Let Christ encourage you. Let love comfort you. Let the Spirit lead you. Because like so much of our faith, I'm just more and more convinced that every day that our doing flows directly out of our being, right? He doesn't throw out this crazy command and leave us to our devices, and neither am I. I'm not just saying, okay, go get along and be nicer. I'm saying from the prayer of Jesus himself, our unity is a priority. Can we just, can we see that together? Unity is of utmost importance and it's worth the work. It's worth the quietness. It's worth the compromise. It's worth the hard work of living at peace whenever possible. It's worth that hard work. Unity is that important because our unity shows the world that God loves them and that he's here with them. The unity of God's people is evidence of God's love. So if you let Christ encourage you, if you let his love comfort you, if you let the Spirit lead you, I believe a more unified church will follow. And I believe that is just what the world needs right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, commit ourselves to you. We pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds to see, uh, to see your vision for the church. 
to see the vision Jesus had for the church, that his people could be perfectly one. And that as the church is perfectly unified, different and diverse as we are, but perfectly unified on the common ground of the gospel, but as we're unified, the world's going to see that you are here and you love them. Help us see that that's what's at stake. God, our unity is a primary strategy for saving the world. It is a primary strategy for conversion, for evangelism. That if we're unified, the world sees you more clearly and they understand your love more accurately. Help us see that today, God. Would we receive encouragement from Christ? Just remind us that that's true, God. You have encouraged us in Christ. You've comforted us with love. And Lord, you want the Spirit to lead us. So we invite you to do those things now. We invite you, we're open, we're listening, God. Lead us, make us a more unified church for your glory and for the good of the world. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.